Right. That's exactly right. And this comparison to Steve Jobs is so interesting, right, Ryan? Because we hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sort of what I want to say is, you know, I'm not Steve Jobs. And, you know, <laughs> anyone listening, by definition, is not Steve Jobs. That's right. And there's a lot of different things that you can emulate around great people who've been successful. But there are a billion variables that went into making them successful. Mm-hmm. And if we pull out the one that we think is the most crystallized one without all of the others, it's like, you know, taking vitamin A instead of eating a carrot. Yes. Like, it's just too complex. That's it's right. not going to do it for you. And so, like, I, I kind of want to say, let's stop modeling ourselves after people that we think are great, and let's try to be, you know, really successful, happy, balanced, hardworking, productive versions of ourselves. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining yours truly, Ryan Kelliger, on this week's episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week I'm reading a book, condensing it down to its core golden nuggets. I'm bringing the author on the show to have a conversation about the golden nuggets. And every single week, I'm here just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Now, this week, we have on friend of the show and a recurring guest, second time he's been on the show, Peter Bregman. We're talking about his book, Leading with Emotional Courage, how to have hard conversations, create accountability, and inspire action on your most important work. This is a different kind of book. And the reason it's different is because each chapter is fairly brief. Most books have quite a bit of pages in each chapter, whatever, 15, 20 pages per chapter. This one's different. Each chapter is maybe about three pages, four max. It's kind of cool. I like how this one's laid out. It's almost as if you have uh, 50 golden nuggets in this book, which is, to me, is very cool. It held my attention throughout the book, which is, you know, maybe one of the reasons why I really enjoyed it so much. And the podcast, essentially, this one's tough for me to do because there's so many short little golden nuggets there, so... What I pulled out from it were some of the most important things to me. And that's unfair, really, because what's important to me might not be necessarily important to you. But my intention with this episode was to bring you some golden nuggets that might resonate with you. What I'd recommend, though, is go to the bookstore yourself. Pick up this book. Leaf through it. See if there's something in there that maybe strikes a chord with you that we didn't talk about today. Because most books that I cover, you know, it's you do have a handful of golden nuggets. That's why I built the show in the first place. Because most books have only four or five main golden nuggets in it. And the rest of it's kind of filler. Well, I believe that if you bring the author on the show, we can cover off those golden nuggets. Get the stories out, the metaphors, the anecdotes, what have you, through conversation. Again, this one's different because there's just a lot of golden nuggets in this one. So again, my recommendation is listen to the podcast. Take note on whatever it is we're talking about. But then again, feel free to go to the bookstore, pick up Leading with Emotional Courage, leaf through it, see if there's something in there for you. And if there is, fantastic. Pick it up, read it, use it. Because again, what are we doing here every single week? We're here to spark change. That's what we're trying to do. If there's something in here that can spark change for you, then I'm all for it. In any case, let's crack right into this one. This one is Leading with Emotional Courage, How to Have Hard Conversations, Create Accountability, and Inspire Action on Your Most Important Work with Peter Bregman. I'll catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Peter, my friend, how you doing? I'm great. It's so great to be here with you. Hey, it's great to have you back, my friend. Of course, friend of the show. We had you on uh, many, many months ago talking about uh, your very first book, uh, 18 Minutes. So it's great to have you back on. Maybe you can start off by telling us a little bit about you know, yourself for people who don't know you yet and why you ended up writing this book in the first place because it's a different kind of book. 
Sure, and thank you for that compliment. I'm delighted to hear it. Um, uh, you know, what motivated me and what motivates me in sort of all my work, and it's, you know, I've written four books. This is my fourth book, and it's a, it's a thread throughout all of my work, is helping people and organizations, but helping people to create focus and follow through in their lives, mm. to, to not just have ideas, but to make them happen in reality, to not just sort of want to get something done, but to actually do it. And, and that gap between sort of what we want and, and what we actually do is huge mm. and oftentimes huge, right? And, and we, we often don't close that gap very effectively. So you know, 18 minutes was about that uh, in terms of really creating structure in your day and structure in your life in order to get your most important work done. And, and I, um, you know, in my own life, I'm constantly looking for where are the blocks? Like, where am I getting stuff? Hmm. And it turned out, and I've been studying this now for about 10 years, that this issue of emotional courage, of the willingness to hmm. feel, is the number one thing. It's the key. It's like it is the golden nugget hmm. that, um, that kind of unlocks our ability to get stuff done. And the way I think about it is think about a hard conversation that you haven't had, right? A conversation you know you should have, and it's been on your mind, but you just haven't done it yet. Like hmm. you haven't followed through. Right. And ask yourself why. And I'm willing to bet you know exactly what you want to say. <laughs> I'm willing to bet you're skilled enough to say it. I'm willing to bet you've had time and opportunity to say it. So you've got everything you need in order to follow through, but you haven't followed through. Why? And it's because there's something you don't want to feel. Hmm. Like you have this hard conversation with someone and you might have to feel their anger. or They might get all passive aggressive on you or you might have to feel your own anger. There might be some defensiveness on your part or on their part or shame or embarrassment. I don't know what it is, but there's something that's scary that you would have to feel about that conversation. And if you are willing to feel everything, if you're willing to feel all of that, the shame, the embarrassment, the uncertainty, the possible anger, the, the passive aggression, if you're willing to feel everything, then you can do anything, right? Then nothing stops you from moving forward. Yeah, you might feel failure. Yeah, you might feel, you know, their upsetness. But if you're willing to feel that, then you can take the actions that you need to take in order to move forward on your most important work. Yeah, being in touch with your 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 emotional intelligence, having that self awareness, and being able to dig deeper into yourself to determine why you do what you do is something that's very difficult. And I think that your book really helped to reveal many aspects of that. But I'm excited to crack into it with you. And you know, we got a lot to cover off, so why don't we just crack right into it with golden nugget number one? Well, high expectations. Let's say first off, maybe it's not exactly what we thought it was going to be. So people they believe that high expectations and having them is a good thing. People take pride in having high expectations. It's a great thing. The challenge is that you've pointed out is that people could take it too far. It could have negative impacts. So Peter, help us understand the problems with high expectations and the importance of self-compassion. So if you think about what allows us to move forward in the world, or even think about like what the world rewards. The world rewards productivity, not perfection, right? So if, I, if I'm going to put out a ton of writing, over time, I'm going to hit that perfection. Mm -hmm. But if I work for six months on the perfect blog post to make it just right, to have all of the elements, First of all, there's a great chance I'm going to miss the mark. Mm. And second of all, I'm going to have one blog post that some people will see. <laughs> As opposed to if I write a blog post you know, every week or even every day, I'm going to have 50 or 100 blog posts. 
That's right. And so, and in the in the process of doing all of that work, right, in the process of of doing those fifty or hundred blog posts, my one hundred and first blog post is going to be way better right. than the one blog post that I've like spent six months to craft. So when we have super high expectations, what happens is we get paralyzed. We stop ourselves from acting because nothing's quite good enough. Everything has to be perfect. And there's a lot of really interesting research about being satisfied, like enoughness, hmm. right? And you, you, you know, I, I had to learn this as a parent. Like, you know, you can't be the perfect parent. I mean, it's just impossible. So you have to settle for good enough. Hmm. And it turns out good enough parenting is actually pretty good. But if you're too afraid to be only a good enough parent, then you get stricter, and mm-hmm. then you have really high expectations of your children, and then they rebel, and et cetera, and it all backfires. Just the same way that sort of pursuing perfection in, in a piece of work does. And I really learned this when I was trying to buy a bicycle, and I was trying to buy a bicycle, and I talked about this in the book, and I got really frozen around the color, mm-hmm. which is insane. Like, it's just, <laughs> you know, in the end, how much does it actually matter? But I got, I perseverated, and I went back and forth, and, and, and it, and it sucked up so much time mm-hmm. and so much energy and so much focus. And it really, you know, it, it, it really came to me that like, it's just like, yeah, it matters only so much. That's right. And so let it matter enough, but not too much. Have high enough expectations. But if your expectations are too high, then everything else sort of crumples around it. It's definitely a challenge with a lot of business folks out there. I mean, I work directly with a lot of them who, you know, they kind of scoff at the idea of done is better than perfect. They say, no, does Steve Jobs believe that? Because I don't think Steve Jobs believes that. He believes in perfection. And they try to twist things to really fit their worldview of having high expectations. And perfection to them is the way that it should be done. But if they were to have a little bit of self-awareness and, and, and take themselves out of their body for a second and look at what they're doing, you realize that by creating those high expectations, it creates a culture of fear where people are like, oh my God, I don't want to try something because this guy's going to tear it down and you know it's never going to get, get built and I'm going to create way more pain than pushing it forward and trying to innovate than, you know, than if I just ignore it and you know kind of blend in. And it creates a lot of problems in the culture, this high, uh, this idea of having high expectations, and it makes it really stressful. And I look at the people who have that, these unrealistically high expectations. I'm telling you, man, I don't, I don't envy them. I don't want their life because it's, it's way harder. People are scared to work with them. And I'm telling you, they, they, I think they hold themselves back from achieving a lot of greatness. And just like you said, you know, you can launch 101 blog posts or you can launch one really good blog post. But in the end, you know, you're going to learn way more by doing 101 versus just doing one. Right. That's exactly right. And this comparison to Steve Jobs is so interesting, right, Ryan? Because we hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sort of what I want to say is, you know, I'm not Steve Jobs. And, you know, <laughs> anyone listening, by definition, is not Steve Jobs. That's right. And there's a lot of different things that you can emulate around great people who've been successful. But there are a billion variables that went into making them successful. Mm-hmm. And if we pull out the one that we think is the most crystallized one without all of the others, it's like you know, taking vitamin A instead of eating a carrot. Yes. Like, it's just too complex. That's it's right. not going to do it for you. And so, like, I, I kind of want to say, let's stop modeling ourselves after people that we think are great, and let's try to be, you know, really successful, happy, balanced, hardworking, mm. productive versions of ourselves. Very well said. Golden nugget number two, stay curious about yourself. So being curious about yourself, it's a very important trait, and it really comes down to understanding how to ask for 
specific feedback that will actually help you. So Peter, how exactly do people out there do that? How do we ask for feedback that will specifically help us? You know, I, 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 um, this feels really important and there's a lot of research out there that says everybody really likes to get feedback. And then you talk to a lot of people and it turns out like people don't really want to get so much. That's right. <laughs> like it's hard to get feedback, right? It's, it's, you know, and certainly people don't really want to give feedback, especially yep. if the person who's asking for the feedback gets defensive. Yes. And, and that happens all the time, right? Because by definition, what feedback offers us is a, a, a clear view of our blind spots. And because they're blind spots, we don't actually believe we have them, right? Because we don't see them, right? The only way to uncover a blind spot is to ask someone else to point it out to you. Because by definition, you cannot see your own blind spot. Right. So if I think I'm an amazing listener, and it turns out a lot of people are telling me I'm not a great listener, <laughs> I'm going to fight back and I'm going to say, wait a second, I, 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 I'm <laughs> hearing it. And, and if the person's really skilled, they're saying, look, you're actually not listening to me right now. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm saying, no, no, I totally hear you. Like you're telling me I'm not a good listener, but I'm a great listener. <laughs> and, and you just, you know, you just don't see it. So first of all, you have to, and, and I, I've really been wed to this concept recently, and it's such a hard concept. Can we walk through life with a longing to be changed? Hmm. Right? I mean, think about any conversation you're in with people or any, you know, any argument or, or, you know, around politics, like, does anyone go into conversations with a desire to be changed? Or is everybody going into conversations with a desire to change the perspectives of everybody around them mm. so that they feel better about theirs and that they're true? And I've been, like, trying to walk through life, and it's really, really hard, trying to walk through life with a desire to be changed, to say, can you say something that might change me? So that's a great way to at least go from a feedback perspective, right? Which is, if you're going to ask for feedback, go in with a willingness to really see something that you will find hard to believe, mm. right? And, and be clear that you want honest feedback. If you, if you want it to be easier to take, then ask about the future rather than the past. So instead of saying, what should I have done better in that meeting? Mm-hmm. Say, hey, we have this upcoming meeting what is it that you think I should do to make it go effective based on what you've seen in my past performance? So, so you can get some advice about how to move forward as opposed to you know, a story about how it went in the past, which might be harder for you to hear. So focus on the future. And then really probe, ask questions, and listen without judgment. Listen with this ear to saying, huh, can I, can I, you know, can I get some information that might surprise me because I don't think it's right? and then see how it shines light on something about myself, and write it down. Mm. Write it down because that helps you to stay quiet when you're, giving, when, when you're being given the feedback, and it helps the other person kind of continue to talk and know that you're taking it seriously. I find that it's very rare. When there's, there's very few people that I've, I've met in my life and who, who like to take that advice. right? Well, like when, for example, if I'm coaching somebody, if I'm sharing something about marketing or sales with someone and I'm talking, and a lot of people will maybe sit there and they'll try to fight you back and say, well, I, I disagree. I think this. I think this. And they don't have a learner's mindset. And having this learner's mindset is very important. And I'm not saying that everyone should just, you know, sit there and just listen. I mean, if you disagree, feel free to disagree. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I do believe that there's we, – we listen less today and we don't take feedback as serious as we should and having this this learner's mindset and coming into it with the perspective of you know can I be changed I think there's some power in that right letting go of the ego and saying listen can I be changed by having this information I think it makes you a better person and it's something that I still learn right like I I have a big ego I know I do 
right? And it's something that I work on every single day and I try to listen more. I try to, uh, especially after reading this book, I try to want to be changed. And to me, I think it's a very important human skill that we need to develop because I think that'll make us all better human beings and it'll allow us to essentially, I think, level up in our careers because it'll help us to stay more open-minded to things that maybe we didn't consider beforehand. I love it. And, and I think, you know, this idea of, of getting kind of, you know, arguing with someone when you've asked them for feedback. When, when you really think about it, it's kind of silly, right? Like, it it's is. Like it really you is. You just ask them to tell you their perspective. You don't have to do anything differently. You don't have to take on their perspective. You don't have to agree even. But you've just asked them for their opinion about something. Why are you going to argue with them about That's it? Right. Like, just get their opinion <laughs> and then decide what you want to do. You could, you know, decide you're going to ignore it and continue acting the way you were acting. All the power lies with you. But if, you know, if you want to sort of really get their perspective, I would, I would argue not to argue. So on that same vein, let's go to golden nugget number three, which I think plays very well with the last golden nugget. Skillful communication in the heat of the moment. Now, we've all been in that place where something is said or something is done that really gets under our skin. And, you know, our natural reaction is to lash out and, you know, let that person have it. And we know it's not right, but we do it anyways. And I think it's just the fact that we're human and we're imperfect. And I think that's okay. But essentially, if we're able to outsmart our next angry outburst, I think we'd be much better human beings. So again, this plays very well with the last golden nugget. And I want to ask you, Peter, like, how exactly can we do that? How can we outsmart our next angry outburst? You know, it, it, uh, emotions are very hard to manage. And you mentioned emotional intelligence before. One of the ways in which I distinguish my work from emotional intelligence is that the way emotional intelligence is thought about and written about and, and you know, mostly understood and talked about is very much about what you know, how much you know about your emotion. And, and I actually think that there's been very few conversations uh, that have gone on that are as unemotional as the ones around emotional uh, intelligence, because mm-hmm. it's a very intellectualized conversation, you know, about what it is that, um, you know, like what, what a feeling is and, and, and how do we, you know, manage self-control and what are the competencies behind it, etc. And so what, um, you know, in the heat of the moment, you're facing the emotion, right? In the heat of the moment, you're feeling stuff. Mm. And, and the stuff that you're feeling is, uh, it makes it hard to act. It makes it hard to be smart about what you say next. Right. You could be angry. You could be confused. You could be frustrated. You could mm-hmm. be afraid. And it makes it very, very hard to kind of know uh, what to say, what to do next, yeah. not to react out of that fear. So here's four questions that you can ask yourself. The first question is, what outcome do I want? So let's say you yell at me in the hall. Uh, you know, in fact, this happened to me, right? I was, I was uh, walking at a client's uh, site. I was at a client's office. I was in, in a, not in New York City. It was in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And, and the, we were at a lunchroom and it was a senior level client. And the guy yells at me from across the room, across the dining room. We were in like the cafeteria. He yells at me, <laughs> yo, Bradman, you missed our meeting. <laughs> right now, my adrenaline like shot up. This was actually the chief legal officer of oh, this wow. organization. <laughs> like I was, I was there at the organization in another meeting. I didn't have any meeting scheduled. Mm-hmm. My adrenaline shoots up. I'm embarrassed. 
You know, he's just made this very, very public thing, <laughs> right? I, I could, you know, I, there's all sorts of things, right? Fight, flight is what yep. know, comes to mind. And so what I did was I um, didn't say anything. I just breathed and I walked over to him. Hmm. And that gave me a chance to, first of all, relax a little bit, take a breather, let the adrenaline kind of uh, uh, dilute itself around my body. Mm -hmm. And then I was able to think, like, what is it that, that I want out of this? So the first question you ask is, what outcome do I want? The first question. So I'm not going to react to his yelling. I'm just going to say, he yelled, mm -hmm. right? That's an event that's happened. Instead of reacting in some way and getting some random outcome based on my reaction, I want to pause and I want to say, what outcome do I want? And then I want to choose what I do, not based on the event that catalyzed my actions. I want to choose what I want to do based on the future that I want to create. Mm. So I'm not choosing my next move based on the past. I'm not choosing my, uh, the past has made it necessary for me to act. Mm -hmm. It's requiring a move on my part, but I'm not choosing what that move is based on that past. I'm choosing what my next move is based on the future I want to create. Mm. So I say, what outcome do I want? Right. And then the second question all flows from that. What should I communicate to achieve that outcome? Mm -hmm. How should I communicate to achieve that outcome? And when should I communicate to achieve that outcome? Mm -hmm. So you're upset about something. Something's happened. Ask yourself what you want. And then ask yourself what, how, and when should I respond mm -hmm. in a way to get the future that I want to create, get to what I want. And in my case, you know, what outcome I wanted is a relationship with this, uh, you know, chief legal officer of this organization. And I also wanted to clear up any misunderstandings. And I also wanted to see, did I miss a meeting? Like, did I, was there, right. did I make a mistake? Like, what, what I wanted to be curious, but I think. So I was able to get to all of that. And when I got to him, I was able to say, you know, to apologize. Say, Look, there's, I didn't have this meeting on my schedule, so there's a misunderstanding. But I'm sorry if you were expecting mm. me there and I wasn't there. Um, tell me more about what the meeting was about. And, you know, that's, you know. Nice. so I was able to just like treat him like a human being mm -hmm. and also get to the outcome, which was, you know, build a better relationship, figure out what went mm -hmm. wrong and move forward. That's exactly right. And again, this is very important human skill to have and not even in business, but in family with relationships with your friends, your family it doesn't matter. It's a very important thing to have, but I'm telling you, it's, it's really tough to take yourself out of that moment and, to, again, to have the self-awareness to say, okay, I am furious, right? My blood is boiling. I want to lash out. I want to react. And in the book, you tell a story about, you know, an email that, you know, you wanted to send. And, you know, I think we've all been in that place before where we get an angry email or, or a Slack message or a text message and we want to just lash back out. But it really takes that self-awareness to sit back and say, okay. Now, what kind of outcome am I trying to get here? And people might laugh and say, ah, he can't do that. No, I think you can. It takes training, but it takes a dedication to wanting to become a better person. And again, do I think it's hard? No, I don't think it's that hard because I, you know, over time I've kind of learned to calm myself down and, and realize I need to take a deep breath before I react out with people. But it's something I, I, I know personally I need to work on. But again, I guess maybe for people out there, Peter, who are having a tough time with this one and they say, yeah, but you know, like, how, do, how, do I, how do I separate myself from my emotions? You know, what kind of advice do you give to somebody out there who, you know, maybe they're dealing with a boss or an employee and they, you know, they're going to go into work today. They're on the subway listening. They're in the car ride listening. And they're like, oh, my God, like, I got to take this advice. But every single time I talk to them, I just want to, you know, strangle them by the throat. What do you say to that person? It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's hard. So the first it thing is. I want to say is it's hard. And here's why we act, right? And it goes back to this idea of emotional courage. The reason we act in ways that we don't want to act is because we're not willing to tolerate the feelings that we have. And so if I have a feeling of embarrassment or shame or vulnerability because this guy yelled at me, 
When I yell back, that's a power move. Mm-hmm. If I can get the best of him, if I can make him go, oh, no, no, sorry, 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 then, then I no longer have to feel that embarrassment. If I could say the same, you know how you, you, you know, someone says something to you sometimes and you walk away, and then five minutes later you think, oh, that would, I, I had the perfect comeback for what that guy said. That's right. <laughs> the perfect comeback is a move that makes you stop feeling the feeling that like you got taken advantage of or the guy got the better of you or that's an intolerable feeling. You don't want to feel it. And so you try to think of what can I say that would be really witty or smarter mm-hmm. so, so that I can stop feeling like he got the better of me. And, and so in, in the end, the key, the magic bullet to, to resolving this or, you know, not, not feeling the, uh, you know, or, or not reacting in a way that you don't want to react is to feel, is to be willing to, to have the capacity to feel all of these things you don't want to feel. So mm-hmm. if you're willing to feel the shame or the embarrassment, then you're not going to have to yell. If you're willing to feel anger, feel anger. When you get angry, it's a move to dilute your anger. Mm-hmm. That's exactly I'm going to say right. that again because it's really important. When you get angry, it's a move to dilute your anger. You're feeling super angry and it's building up and it becomes intolerable so you burst out at somebody and then you don't feel as angry anymore because mm-hmm. you feel better. You feel relieved. We've all had that feeling. That's exactly right. So if you're willing and able to feel the anger without diluting it, then you don't have to get angry and you can make a strategic, intelligent, intentional move that gets you to the outcome that you want to get to. That's right. And it's really placed to the next golden nugget, which we talk, which you talked about in the book. Golden nugget number four, that feelings are physical. So again, we've, we've all experienced times where something's really pissed us off a great deal and we struggle to keep it in. And sometimes we continue to keep it in and it grows and it grows and it starts to impact who we are as people. But you have some really great advice for people who experience this. And you tell us that we need to learn to dance with our monster. And I truly love that. So can you explain that one to us briefly? Sure. Feelings really are physical. Like it's a physical sensation in your body. When, when you have a feeling, you could find it. One of the, my favorite questions when I run workshops or, is, is to say, what are you feeling? Where are you feeling it? Mm-hmm. Right? What are you feeling? Where are you feeling it? Because if I know what I'm feeling and I can locate it in my body, I no longer am that feeling. So it's very interesting in different languages. In English, you say, I am angry. In other languages, in French, for example, you say, I have anger. Mm. Right? I have anger is very different than I am angry. If I am angry, there's nothing I can do. I just am angry. I've identified with my anger, and that's all there is to it. If I have anger, well, I'm a choice. I could put it down. Hmm. I could move it around. I could do all sorts of things. So to think of emotions as things that are not us, separate from us, but we experience them. And then the question is, where are you experiencing it? Mm. So, if, you know, if you're angry, where are you feeling it? Maybe you're feeling it in your upper chest. Maybe you're feeling mm-hmm. it all in your head. Maybe you're feeling it, you know, in your gut, in your stomach. Like, where are you feeling it? And mm-hmm. I do this with my kids all the time. My, my, my daughter was having some anxiety, and she was saying, like, I'm afraid. And I said, what are you afraid of? And, and she said, I don't know. I'm just afraid. It's a feeling that I have. of like, I'm feeling fear. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, where? <laughs> she said, what do you mean? I'm like, where are you feeling it? And she's like, I'm feeling it. I know, but take a minute, breathe, and tell me where you feel it. Hmm. And she's able to, ha, in my stomach. Interesting. And I say, well, what does it feel like? 
Right? And suddenly this fear isn't this monster that like overcomes and overwhelms her and it like swallows her. Hmm. It's like, oh, I see where this is and I see what it, and I could describe it and I could tell you where it is in me. And, and then we can move it, by the way. Like if I have her jump up and down or, <laughs> you know, hit a pillow. That's right. Then, it should, then I could either have her hit a pillow or hit the mattress, get on her knees and hit the mattress over and over and over again, or above her head and just slam her fist on the mattress, mm-hmm. and then say, okay, now take a breath. Now what does it feel like? That's right. And she could say, ha, it moved. It's like, really, where did it move? Well, you know, <laughs> now it's in my upper chest. Or now I don't feel, I don't feel it anymore. I was like, wow, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I love so that. So it is, feeling is really, really physical, and if we can learn to play with it, we cannot be overwhelmed by it. That's right. And again, Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. Again, Peter's using the example of his daughter, but I'm telling you, you are not above this, right? This is not something that you give to your kids to do. I mean, this is something that you do. This is something that I do. And it's something we have to become very comfortable with. Listen, you have a bad day at work, you could take it out on the gym, right? If it's in, if it's, if it's, you know, you feel it in your chest, you know, maybe you just got to get in the gym and let it out and hit the punching bag and, ah, you know, like give it, give, give it to all in the punching bag, but let it out. You know, you, I think what, the problem is we keep it all in and we try to keep ourselves, you know, <clears throat> dignified and we try to keep ourselves you know all together <laughs> you know man no, we're human beings sometimes you got to let it out in the car and sometimes if you're alone in the car man scream it out have that conversation with that person it's good therapy for yourself and you get out of the car and you're like oh that anger's gone i don't have it anymore you know i had anger I'm, i don't have it anymore i let it out i've definitely done that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah me too i think we've all done that so i think it's important again cut the crap podcast nation to be in tune with your emotions and to be comfortable by doing that and, and don't feel like it's something that you can't do it's something that, that we should all do and i think it's an important piece to uh to us just managing to to keep our emotions in check so golden nugget number five this one's an interesting one so finding clarity and becoming more of who you are so again i love these thoughts because it's really about becoming aware of who you are and then doubling down on your strengths so help us understand how we can find our one big theme and coming to the understanding that we're already pretty amazing. Um, yeah, you know, you um, a lot of times when we look at feedback or we look at kind of what we how we want to change or things that like we're looking at things we want to change. So we're trying to identify weaknesses. Yeah, I see this all the time in organizations. This is all the time with individuals. Identify, uh, you know, weaknesses mm-hmm. and then shore them up. And, and it's, you know, there's been a lot of research that's been written about this, right? A lot of like sort of leverage your strenges and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, kind of don't worry about your weaknesses or, you know, do your best to, um, mitigate the negative consequences of your weaknesses, but, you know, really don't, don't work on that. Mm-hmm. And I, and I get that and, and I teach it too. And I think that's important, but I also think it's important to say, um, you know, what, what is it? How do you want to improve? How do you want to get better? How do you want to shift things? And, and, you know, so instead of just looking at your, shortcomings, which you always do. What I would suggest is the first thing to do, first of all, is ask that question I always think you should ask, which is, what's the outcome you want? What, what are you going for? Mm-hmm. Like, who do you want to become more of? That's right. And, and then when you understand that, then it's, that's a change. Like, I want to, I, I, you know, if I, unless the outcome I want is to be exactly the same as I am right now, there's going to be some kind of change. You know, maybe I, I don't want to be late all the time, or maybe I want to, you know, I've been talking a lot about my thing, which is slowing down, and 
And, you know, one way to do this, by the way, also is to just create a list of all the things that you want and look at them and go, there's something in common about these. Like, I'm not going to get better at 20 things. Is there something I'm noticing? Is there something in common? Hmm. And so, you know, my theme for a couple of years now, right, this is not something that changes overnight, for a couple of years has been to slow down and, and to not move so fast. And, you know, uh, two, days ago, uh, two days ago, I flew back from France, I, an eight-hour flight. I got in at 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. The next morning, I was on a plane to D.C., you know, and I had a speech that I was giving to D.C., now, uh, back in New York uh, that night, you know, so it was a day trip to D.C. Now I'm heading to Massachusetts to run a program on, the, on leading with emotional courage. And then uh, in a couple of days, I'm back on a plane to France. Wow. So that's like a very, you know, that's not a <laughs> typical week, but it's, you know, it's like I'm moving really fast. Mm-hmm. And it's exhausting me to even just describe it. So I kind of look at that and I go, you know, first of all, I'm actually kind of grateful for the life that I have, which mm-hmm. is, I think, actually kind of cool. And, and... Um, I don't want to burn out yes. and I, and I want to slow down. So to really kind of understand that, right. And understand the theme that, you know, I, that I want. And then to say, what am I grateful for? Mm. What am I good at already? What are the, the behaviors that, what, where are the ways in which I'm already doing this? What are the ways in which I've already gone slower? So I can think of moments when I'm already doing this thing. Right, where this thing I think is a weakness in a particular area of my life is a strength. Hmm. So, for example, when I'm with my son and putting him to bed, I could just kind of hang out with him and, and put him to bed. When, when I'm writing, I move very slowly. I move very slowly. I know we talked about being very, very productive, but mm-hmm. still, for a blog post, it's going to take me six to eight hours to write a blog post, right. even if it's like 600 words. Of it just takes me time. And I like that. I enjoy that. So there are places where I already go slow. And then I can ask myself, what is it that I'm already doing that makes that effective? And then apply the place where I am already strong in this to a context in which I'm weak in it. Mm. So I can look at what I know about being with my son or when I'm writing, and then I can sort of say, okay, so I, first of all, I give myself enough time for it. So I expand the time. Like I don't try to write a blog post in an hour. I give myself five, six, seven hours mm-hmm. to write a blog post. So where I'm rushing, where am I trying to compress time? And can I, can I now, you know, I'm actually pretty good at stretching time mm-hmm. when I know I've got something that's going to take that amount of time. So how can I be more realistic about, you know, how long, you know, this meeting that's is right. going to take? Or how can I be realistic about how much transition time I need to go from one thing to the other? That's a real learning for me. So then I apply what I know I'm already good at in one context to another context where I want to get good at it. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I love that, Peter. So in our last golden nugget here, I really want to focus on this last principle because it's very interesting. And now every single morning when I brush my teeth, I'm reminded of this principle, which is golden nugget number six, the mouthwash principle. So tell us what that is and why it's such an important principle for all of us to understand. You know, the, the reason I call it the mouthwash is my dentist said to me I needed to, you know, uh, brush my teeth and floss my teeth and then use a pickster, which is like a little pick, mm-hmm. and then rinse. And I thought, you know, that's kind of a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. and I, you know, I kind of felt like it was maybe a little overkill. Too. But anyway, I did it um, for the first few weeks. And, and here's the thing that I actually really noticed when I did it, that after the first you know, steps of washing my teeth and flossing and using a pickster, those are three major steps mm-hmm. that you would think I got everything else. Mm-hmm. And we're done. And yet, I, almost every time I did the mouthwash, 
when I spit the mouthwash out, there was like a little particle of food that I could see. Mm-hmm. And it like you need to do stuff over and over and over again in order to get it to stick. Like that's, right. that's just the reality. That's right. It's interesting when I think of speeches or sermons or things that I remember. It's not the interesting, complex twists that I remember. It's the time when I was maybe even a little bored listening to them, but I still remember it. You know, my father-in-law just got married again. His, his wife, my mother-in-law, died about five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. My father-in-law just got remarried, and she's a lovely woman, and it's a real, um, it's, it's a real blessing. Mm-hmm. And I've been to a million weddings, yeah. right? I've been to a lot of weddings. And I can promise you, I do not remember a single, <laughs> and by the way, I've, I've officiated at weddings. And I don't even really remember the sermon that I gave when I officiated <laughs> at a wedding. So, like, so I really don't remember any of them, mm-hmm. honestly. And this one, you know, I remember it. I'm telling you, I'm going to remember it forever. Hmm. The, the, um, my father-in-law and, and his new wife were Christian, and they, it was a minister in the Episcopal Church. And he got up, and he must have said 25 times, um, their names are Robbie and Lindy. And he must have said 25 times, Robbie and Lindy, Lindy and Robbie. They're older, right? They're mm-hmm. in their 70s. Yeah. She's in their 60s, she's in their 70s. Robbie and Lindy, Lindy and Robbie. Hmm. Um, they are now, you've known them individually as Robbie or Lindy. They've both had their lives. They've had very full lives, but now they're together. Robbie and Lindy, Lindy and Robbie. Interesting. And from now on, when you think of one, you think of the other. It's not just Robbie. Hmm. It's not just Lindy. It's Robbie and Lindy, Lindy and Robbie. And yeah. it, like over and over <laughs> and over again. And I tell you, I'm never going to forget that sermon. And I'm never going to think of them as any other way than they are now you know, after you know, sub 60, 70 years, they've been apart, but they are now together. No and they kidding. are a couple. And he had one main point that he went over it and over it and over it and over it in a way that really kept it very, very present. And, you know, of all of the complex sermons I've heard in my life, this is the only one I remember. And it's like, this is what we need to do. And it's yes. really, a, you know, it's really a reminder to all of us. Like, if there's something important, you have to get bored with it mm-hmm. in order for people to remember it. So you have to say it enough or do it enough or repeat it enough so that you're bored with it in order for it to become part of the new normal. That's exactly and right. you've got to just keep saying Robbie and Lindy, Lindy and Robbie until you think like, really, I said it too much and then say it a couple more times. Yeah. And sometimes for leaders and for people, for parents, it doesn't matter. You feel like you're repeating yourself and you say, I shouldn't have to repeat myself. I hate those words. I shouldn't have to repeat myself. Yes, you do. Yeah. You have to repeat yourself. You have to continually say things over and over and over again. And people go out there and they say, you know, this speaker, you know, I, I listen to this, this professional speaker. I've seen him on YouTube. I've seen him in person. I've read about his books. He says the same thing all the time. Like, give me something new. You know, she says the same thing all the time. No, they have to say the same thing all the time because how many times does it take for us to actually get to sink in? Like, what is it? Seven to 12 times to hear it? You know, and so, like you said, you have to get bored with your topic, and I think that's a really good, important point for all of us to remember, and that sometimes we're, we're always trying to make sure that people are, why, why aren't people listening to me? You know, I've said this before, I've said this once, I've said this twice. No, I mean, you, you can take this example with your kids, with people you work with. You have to say things over and over again in order for it to stick, and I think that sometimes we, we, we forget about that. And this mouthwash principle is something I'll never forget and something that's just going to stick with me forever because it's just this whole idea that, you know, repetition is the key to success and we have to remember that. And then my friends, that's Leading with Emotional Courage, how to have hard conversations, create accountability and inspire action on your most important work. For Peter, anyone who wants to connect with you afterwards, after the podcast and, uh, you know, they pick up the book and they want to connect with you, how can they go about doing that? The best way to do it is through Bregman. Partners.com, B-R-E-G-M-A-N, 
partners, P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S dot com. Fantastic. Peter, again, thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. It's a great pleasure. Nowhere I'd rather be. It's super fun talking to you as always, Ryan. Thanks so much. Right. There we have it. That's leading with emotional courage, how to have hard conversations, create accountability and inspire action on your most important work with my friend Peter Bregman. And if you love the episode, then please go online, rate and review the show. When you do, send a screen capture of that to podcast at ryancalajuri.com, and I'll make sure you get entered in the draw every quarter for a prize. I'll let you know what that prize is shortly. I'm going to let you know probably when there's about one month left in the draw. But anyways, just get your ratings and get your reviews in. If you've already done it and you're already entered in, you don't have to worry about it. Don't forget to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Connect with me on all social platforms so you can see what I'm doing throughout the week. We can connect with one another. Also, when you connect with me, just let me know how you found me. Let me know that you found me through the show. Tell me how much you enjoy the show. Again, all of you who have done that already, you've reached out to me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much. Every single one of you knows who you are because I've reached back out to you to let you know how much it means to me. So don't be a stranger. Feel free to reach out and just say hi. Also, don't forget to go to CutTheCrapPodcast.com and sign up for the summaries. I have been lagging on this. This is something I should have done in the wintertime instead of the summer. Been a crazy summer. So I haven't had a chance to get to that, but I will get those summaries out shortly. And when those summaries are out, you can download them at any point in time. I've just been kind of taking my time on it, really enjoying the summer and kind of pushing this one back a little bit. But don't worry, I will get them to you shortly. All right, my friends, that is a wrap for this week. So thank you so much once again for tuning in this week. Always means a lot to me that you do. I know there's a lot fighting for your attention. So the fact that you come to Cut the Crap Podcast every week, I don't take that for granted. I'm very grateful for that. So thank you so much. But I'll be back here next week when I have a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, an interview with an author. And of course, you know what I'm doing here every single week. Just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Have a fantastic, productive, inspired week, everybody. I love you all. Regardless of what the media or your social media tells you, we are living through the greatest era to be an entrepreneur or human ever. Let's clap that shit up because it's true. It just is. We have a massive responsibility to start making positivity louder. One of the trends that I'm massively fascinated by is the minority of angry is much louder than the silent majority of happy. And if I can accomplish anything, and I'll get into my real talk in a second, but if I can accomplish anything at this conference, I ask that the people that are as happy as I am because I'm the most grateful fucker you will ever meet for them to get louder about how good it actually is. When I was 10 years old, and on my 10th birthday when my grandma took me to Toys R Us, I decided to buy my sister a Cabbage Patch doll because I knew she would be more excited about me doing that than me buying anything at Toys R Us. I have always been this person. I like making people feel good because it makes me feel good. I'm being selfish by providing others value because it brings me my biggest joy. I posted a video of me garage selling this Saturday and I showed some stuff and it was a really fun day but because I will and we already talked about that this Saturday, get ready for it. But I, I did, I don't show my kids. So I wasn't really able to film all of it. There were people who thought I staged it. Did you see this? There were people who said, oh yeah, right. 
you can't bullshit a bullshitter. I'm like, this fucking, I mean, if you can't bullshit this bullshitter, I'm gonna fucking, the cynicism is so wild. So wild. Like, do you really think I, with everything I've got going on in my life and the leverage and all the good stuff, that my new plan, my new plan was, you know what, this Saturday I'm gonna trick people, I'm gonna go to some store and buy things and make like, what is the matter with people? Then somebody else was like, what is this all leading to? Uh, a $10,000 how to make money on eBay course? I'm like, yeah, dick face, a $10,000 to make money on eBay course. No fuck face, it's for me to spend some time with my kids and to show people that this is the world I came from as a kid, it's still tangible, there's a shitload of you that could actually really benefit from $300 a week more in money, learn something including the thrill of the hunt and how to, how to educate yourself to know the value of things, how to do copy and salesmanship in an eBay environment which is the most ultimate competitive environment and how to hustle because while all of you were sleeping Saturday morning, I was out going through fucking trash. That's what I was doing. To come out and say my great joy is to give other people joy because it makes me feel so fucking good is gonna be met with such obnoxious amounts of cynicism that I don't even wanna waste the time on it but it's the answer to that question. That's the truth. And, and by the way, I got, this is where luck comes in. I know a lot of you say I hate luck. Let me tell you what luck is. Luck is that you were built in a way where that is genuinely the way you feel because then you actually do it because you love it and then enormously awesome shit happens to you. So how do you think I work so hard? Because I'm filled with gratitude that I was built that way because that gift, that fucking gift is the fucking thing.